Yeah. You know, well, I didn't have a lot of resources and I'm not an interior designer. So I knew I wanted the spaces to be really beautiful. I knew I wanted them to be reflective of our community. And I knew that I really wanted community voices to show through, um, to give somebody a, a real, you know, locals perspective, let them really suspend their imagination and pretend that they're from here, you know, live, live like a local for a little bit. Cause that's what I like to do. Live like a local for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And just pretend, right. Like <laughs> let that fantasy happen. Yeah. So I did, we recruited these teams and, um, four different teams and we gave them a budget and we gave them a timeline and they submitted their design concepts and then we let them go. Ruthie Sullivan. Welcome to this week's episode of the Ruthie Podcast, where I interview everyday women to learn how they're making a living, listen to highlights of their current career, points and pivots they made along their personal and professional journeys, and the individual story behind it all. Join me and see how successes, failures, obstacles, and triumphs come together and offer courage to ask, now what, as they meet life right where it's at. Today, I'm incredibly excited to introduce Erin Stevenson. She is the founder and co-owner of a boutique lodging company. They have two brands, the Third Street Flats and the Atticus Hotel, a luxury lifestyle hotel in downtown wine country, McMinnville, Oregon. Erin's philanthropic efforts that give back to her community are many. Recently, she was nominated to be on the Oregon Tourism Commission. Join me and listen as Erin highlights the intentional process that took her in the shower idea from idea to reality. Erin and her partner were David in a sea of Goliaths. From obtaining an SBA loan to raising funds for their down payment to creating a team of individuals who shined in their roles to working together to making massive unavoidable cuts in their budget, see how the detailed, specific, and intentional business plan that Erin wrote laid a foundation that sustained the weight of all the obstacles that came their way. Erin expresses how disappointment led to the frustration that bred the creativity that ultimately produced a far better end product than originally planned. There is a reason that USA Today named the Atticus Hotel as the top wine country hotel in America and TripAdvisors names it as one of the top 25 hotels in America. Those accolades don't hold a candle, though, to the personal reviews that visitors give. You don't want to miss the ways that Erin leveraged the excitement of the community. It's straight up brilliance. And remember the Ruthie podcast playlist on Spotify. Erin names Dolly Parton's 9 to 5 as the female anthem. Listen for the other songs that speak to Erin's journey in bringing the Atticus Hotel alive. Meet Erin. So today I'm interviewing Erin Stevenson. Thank you for being here, Erin. You bet. It's great to be here. Erin, will you tell us how you make a living? Let's start with that. Okay. Yeah. So I am founder and co-owner of uh, a boutique lodging company that is headquartered here in downtown McMinnville. And we have two brands. One is called Third Street Flats, and it is um, a nightly vacation rental business that I started 11 years ago. And the other is uh, the Atticus Hotel, which is a 36-room luxury lifestyle hotel here in downtown Mac. We are sitting in the Third Street Pizza Co. Pizza Company, and that's in McMinnville, Oregon. What are the ways that you've made money in your lifetime and like show the evolution to where you are today. And the thing that's cool about this interview is we're doing this at 
a pizza company and she she worked there and the owner Jerry Hunter says that she was the first employee he could trust. <laughs> I am very trustworthy. Um yeah, so I grew up here in McMinnville. I'm a hometown girl. Um we have Linfield University in town, and so the Linfield college kids call uh, call us townies. But the truth is to be, there's a townie, which means you grew up here, left for college. In my case, I went to the University of Oregon and then came back. And then there's super townies, and that's when you grew up here. You went to Linfield and you stayed. So I'm not a super townie. I'm only a plain Jane townie. Um, but I did grow up in McMinnville and I grew up working a lot of jobs, um, downtown and did a turn right here at third street pizza one summer, um, working for Jerry, which was fantastic. And, um, I think it's really sweet. He said I was his first trustworthy employee. I think I ended up being maybe his, his day shift manager or something like that. And, uh, it's a really, really fun place to work at the time. A lot of young people and, um, Definitely, uh, the till came up a little short from time to time when I was counting it out. And I think my coworkers were definitely having some fun with that, uh, <laughs> with that missing cash. Um, anyway, so those were kind of high school, college jobs. I graduated from college in 2001. So it's interesting, you know, life has steered me where it wants me to go. And, um, and I, I learned so much at Habitat through that job. And I'm so, still so passionate about the organization. I am just a passionate traveler, always have been. My husband and I kept traveling. Um, and what did that look like? You you would work and save and yep. then take your, your leave of, you know, vacation leave, or did you take longer than that? Yeah. So we had spent um, a month in Europe after our freshman year in college, and then three months after we graduated. And then once we started working, we were spending, we we're trying to spend, I guess we spent, we found a way to take a month off. We got married in Italy. So we found oh. a way to squeeze a month of travel there. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we just kept traveling and I was really passionate. In fact, our dream at the end of that three month trip after college had been to buy a small hotel someday in Europe and, you know, maybe 30 rooms, just something really small and figure out how to live internationally and run that business. And, um, it didn't feel super feasible at the time, but it felt like a goal to work towards. And I never let go of that goal. I, um, had one of those things that, that I don't know who this happens to. I guess it happened to me, but I had a great aunt that I'd never met before die and leave me a little bit of money. Huh? It's yeah. I, I don't know. I know. I'm like, huh? Yeah. It actually happens. It, to people? it does happen. You see that in the old day movies. Yeah, I know. It really like, huh? kind of is the thing. <laughs> so it was right. Um, that was in 2009 and the economy had just crashed and I really didn't feel like, putting that money and, you know, doing the smart thing and putting it smart air quotes, putting yeah. it, you know, investing it in mm -hmm. any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I was like, you know what, this is my moment. And I was actually shopping for apartments in Italy <laughs> online. My husband's like to start a business, like basically a vacation rental business abroad. He's like, have you considered doing this? I don't know, maybe in your own town where you speak the language and you know, people, I was like, 
No, I haven't, but that's a good idea. <laughs> it's like, maybe start here Brilliant. first. <laughs> and once you figure it out in your own language, in your own culture, then maybe you can take that learning overseas. Oh, I like that. Yes, practical. Very practical. Practical, practical yes. Um, so that's what I did. And I leased the upper story of our historic McMinnville Bank building right here in downtown McMinnville. For any of your listeners that don't know, um, McMinnville is the heart of Oregon wine country. So we are Pinot Noir country. People come from all over the world to um, sample our wine here. We have an amazing culinary scene. And at that point, though, there weren't a lot of lodging opportunities. We had a handful of small B&Bs, kind of roadside hotels, but there wasn't mm-hmm. anything um, There wasn't anything that was what we liked to stay in when we're traveling. Which and you, is, with all your travel experience, right? You know. Absolutely. Um, you know, we liked to go find a historic apartment, get off a train, you know, get a listing of apartments available by the night and kind of pretend that you're from that place. It's so funny to say now because Airbnb didn't exist now. It didn't exist at that right, time. Like right. Facebook was just starting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much has changed in our so lifetime. So much has changed. So much has changed. So anyway, um, I leased the second story of this historic building and um, I brought in four local interior design teams and they each drew a flat. It's called Third Street Flats. That business uh-huh. is still there in that building. Um, and... Yeah, we created this contest out of it. Tell, it okay, on Linda Hayes like pointed this out to me, like just how creative your brain is in making things come together in a really unique way. And really, it, it, like she said, that you're incredible at leveraging the excitement of the community. And and she brought up this. So tell us about that. Yeah, you know, well, I didn't have a lot of resources and I'm not an interior designer. So I knew I wanted the spaces to be really beautiful. I knew I wanted them to be reflective of our community. And I knew that I really wanted community voices to show through um, to give somebody a, a real you know, locals perspective, let them really suspend their imagination and pretend that they're from here, you know, live, live like a local for a little bit. Cause that's what I like to do. Live like a local for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And just pretend, right. Like <laughs> let that fantasy happen. Yeah. So I did, we recruited these teams and, um, four different teams and we gave them a budget and we gave them a timeline and they submitted their design concepts and then we let them go. And we ended up videoing the whole thing. It's probably on YouTube. It must still be out there. It would be like the Third oh. Street Flats Design Challenge. Probably lives on the internet still. Oh, and if you if you can find the link for me, I would love, or I can look yeah. it up as well. But together, let's find it and put it in the show notes so you, we, you can check this out. Totally. It's yeah. brilliant. I haven't watched it in a really long time, so it'd be fun <laughs> to go back. Yeah, we ended up having something like 5,000 people vote for their favorite transformation. This was also not quite pre-reality TV, but sort of like very early days and the community really got involved. We just found ways to kind of make it happen with what we had. And it was funny because within a few years, I had so many community members come up to me and like throw an arm around me and say, God, I thought that was such a terrible idea. And I was so worried for you. I'm really glad it turned out okay. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I'm really glad it turned out okay too. It's great to know you all thought I was heading toward financial wreck and ruin, but you smiled and went along. (laughs) And you're like, okay, let's see how this goes. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was great. Every time I had one of those conversations. So I had, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this situation and NPS, I'm 42 years old now. I'm so 45. I, I would have been like 31 at the time. 
something like that, 3031, okay. um, where your mom and dad are really right all the time. Uh-huh. Don't tell. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I like this now as a parent, <laughs> but at the time my parents were like, isn't this going to be a lot of work? You know, you've got a job, you've got a small kiddo. My husband's a firefighter, so he's gone a lot, you know, oh, a third of yeah. the time. So I do a lot of single parenting. And uh, like, no way, it's going to be easy, you know, respond to some emails in the morning, check in, make sure they get cleaned, put out the keys, the wine and the chocolate. How hard can it be? <laughs> right. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, the human effect, you know, people come here for wine, they get drunk, they lock themselves out, things break, <laughs> you know, there's just, they have a lot of questions. So for about a year and a half, I did it on my own. And um, and how many flats and or units just were you? Four. Just the four. Just four, four at that time. Okay. Yeah, just four. But it was, it's really a 24-hour a day job. I think, you know, you could do a whole podcast on the vacation rental market. And I know you're in real estate. So no doubt you've got a lot of knowledge about this. But people tend to think it's really easy. And it's a great oh. way to make you know, easy money and it can be a great way to make money, but it is not easy money. No, there, no hard mm-hmm. money. Actually, it's really hard exhausting money. Well, um, and part of that is that it is that 24 seven, 24 seven. So I've said, I feel like my phone is like a diaper bag with a baby in it. Like you have to take it everywhere you go and you have to respond to every beck and call, yep. including the calls that turn out being the home warranty yep. salespeople that are calling for the upteenth time. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you know, you just take all the calls and you have to respond quickly. It's true. And um, I really loved my job. Um, I'm basically at the bank. It was like playing Ed McMahon, you know, walking around handing out somebody else's money for a living. It's pretty <laughs> dreamy. Everyone yeah. Everybody loves you when, you know, we gave to 250 um, organizations a year. So it, you're a pretty popular person um, when you have that position. And um yeah, I became very unpopular later with a different position. So we can work our way towards that one. <laughs> but it was, I just didn't want to let that job go. So I um, sold half the company to my now business partner, Brian. Okay. Got on some help, which was wonderful. To and have this somebody. is a year and a half in. This was a year and a half okay. in. Yeah. And it was really because I loved that other job so much and I just didn't want to let it go. Um, but we were so busy. We had long wait lists. And so... Um, after a couple years, Brian and I really kind of put it all out on the line and we ended up buying, um, a building down the street that had seven more flats in it. So, um, we ventured into commercial real estate at that point and we tripled the size of our business. And, um, and so I took a leap of faith, left that wonderful banking job, Ed McMahon, <laughs> Ed McMahon <laughs> job and went all in with the company. And it was really exciting. We um, brought back two of our original design teams. We designed seven more flats. So we had 11 total and thought like, okay, this is great. You know, now we've, this is, we're going to be set for a while. And immediately we had wait lists again. We were like, okay, so that didn't hold us very long. And is this wait list, these are people wanting to come and visit mm-hmm. McBinville and wine country, which is incredible mm-hmm. here. I'm, we just did a wine t- taste testing yesterday. Oh, and awesome. They're all so good. Yeah, it's, well, from downtown McMinnville, there are 250 wineries within 20 minutes in any direction. 
Yeah. So people are like, oh my God, you've probably been to all. I'm like, no, I live here and I could never get through them all. And I mean, and there's constantly new ones. So it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's amazing and amazingly beautiful. And our, our downtown is gorgeous. You know, we're, um, you know, top five foodie destinations in America mm-hmm. and best main street, West of the Mississippi, all sorts of things like that. So we're, it's really a draw. And, um, and you know, even though we tripled, we just, we weren't meeting that need. So we recognized that there was really a need for that next level of lodging for a, a small, and in our mind, because scale is very important, a small luxury boutique hotel. And, um, and from a community standpoint, overnight guests spend three times more in your community than day trippers. So we were also leaving a lot of money on the table as a community in our small businesses. We're sitting in Third Street Pizza Company right now. And um, we have a robust dining scene in McMinnville. But, you know, many of our restaurants can't survive year round on on locals alone. They really need that push of tourism in the summer to help them make it through a much slower winter season. So, you know, for the community, it was really the next step for us to take also. Um, and so we embarked on this journey to, to really like, okay, let's chase that dream. And how does the little guy do that? Because <laughs> hotels, if you really look at the hotel industry, there's a jillion brands out there, but if you trace them back, there's really pretty much three big companies that own almost every brand in America. Yes. It's, there's right. very few locally owned and operated hotels um, out there anymore. So, and there's a really high barrier to entry. Going out and buying or building a hotel, you're talking about millions and millions of dollars. This is not a small task at all. So, you know, how does the little guy ever get a chance to do that? And that's what we were trying to do. And, um, but we really believed and, um, I had this, uh, we, well, we were trying to buy a piece of property, um, a few blocks from downtown. So it would have been right in downtown, but we really liked it. It would have been for a slightly different type of hotel, not quite as high end as the Atticus hotel, which is the hotel that we eventually opened. Um, and, you know, we negotiated, we negotiated, we negotiated, and we just couldn't get there and the deal fell apart. And I was so heartbroken. You know, we were so close. It didn't happen. And, um, I was in the shower one day and my partner, Brian always gets really nervous when I have shower ideas <laughs> and it just like <laughs> popped into my head. I was like, I, like kind of this, like, don't worry, it's going to happen. And it's called the Atticus Hotel like a lightning bolt. And so I like reached for my phone outside the shower and I texted Brian, God bless him (laughs) for putting up with me. And I was like, Hey, I just had this vision. Like, don't worry. It's going to happen. It's called the Atticus hotel. You know, kudos to Brian for like trusting my intuition and, um, believing with me that this was really going to happen despite all odds being against us. I mean, we are David in a world of Goliaths here. This is a luxury lifestyle hotel. You know, we've got um, ballet parking, 24-hour concierge, you know, all the things that you would associate at that level of of property. Um, Remember standing our offices in the historic Oddfellows Lodge, which was that second location of Third Street Flats. And... I remember standing looking out the window at the parking lot where we parked our car and being like, where, where, 
where could we possibly build this hotel in downtown McMinnville as I'm looking at this empty parking lot? And I'm like, oh, wait. I'm standing. <laughs> in a parking lot. I'm standing. Yeah, in- I am like looking <laughs> at the spot for this hotel, which was a private parking lot at the time. So um, as luck would have it, that parking lot happened to be owned by my childhood best friend's family. And we're one day apart in birth. She owns an amazing business called Taipei Press using, you know, she's fifth, genera- fifth generation newspaper family using the original letterpress from the newspaper <laughs> and then the bindery event space, which is across the street from the hotel now, which is in the old print plant for the paper. Um, but anyway, so I was like, Chelsea, I'm going to go talk to your dad. I'm, we need this piece of property. And so we... I love this. I lo- I'm like, I've got it pictured in my head. Like you, you have an idea, you're thinking on it, trying to put it all together. Shower idea. Yeah. Like, <laughs> standing in the parking lot. <laughs> because everything's possible. Like everything is possible until you find out that it's not. And you've yeah. just got to chase it. The ideas that seem like that can never happen. Well, actually, you know what? It can. And it does. If you just chase it, don't assume it won't work. Prove it won't work. And then move on. And then let it go and move on. And let it lead you to other things. Yeah. That's the cool thing is when you're chasing something and you mm-hmm. do run into a roadblock, that roadblock often is a vehicle to get you to the something else or to an enhanced version of what you thought you were headed for, you know? Yeah. Heartbreak often leads to opportunity. So the heartbreak over the piece of property we didn't get, right? Yeah. You led us to the one, to the frustration that led us to the one we did. And so we ended up um, trading with her dad. He um, basically contributed that parking lot to our LLC that owned the property for a share in our other properties. And suddenly we had a location for the hotel. I love, I love that the heartbreak led us to the frustration. Yep. That led us. Yeah. Sometimes the best learning in life, I know we want life to be pleasurable and we want it to be easy. And we're always looking for paths and ways to do that, but that's often not our journey. And it's often the really hard parts that take us where we're supposed to be. And we have to go through that to get to the other side. I mean, I know it kind of sounds like a bad country Western song, but you know, <laughs> Dolly Parton's onto something. Actually, she's onto a lot of things. If you really look at Dolly, <laughs> gospel according to Dolly. But um, yeah, and then we had a, a banker, our banker who really believed in us. And against all odds, again, um, we went for an SBA loan, a small business administration loan. And the big piece of that was that it brings your down payment down to 15% from 30, uh, traditionally on a commercial loan of that type. And so that brought it within shooting distance. We had to go out and, you know, find some capital to be able to get to that down payment amount. I spent about six months writing a business plan. And it took me that long because, of course, I was still, you know, Brian and I were still working on our, you know, running our business. And um, and it was, it's 112 pages, I think, in its entirety. And it's been rebound three times now. But that business plan spells out absolutely every idea, every concept, every budget, every employee, absolutely everything that became the, At- the Atticus Hotel. And, um, 
And I bring that up because that plan, that writing that plan really empowered us. I mined my way back through all of the best experiences that I'd had traveling and then some experiences I hadn't had but wanted to have. So it's really hard to book at the hotel, but we have a luxury bunkhouse. And after so many years at Third Street Flats, we knew that we hosted a ton of girls' nights, book clubs, sororities, mothers and daughters, like friends, besties, young moms. But Wine Country is very popular with girls' groups. And we have a couple of flats that are six-person occupancy. Um, and, you know, two people sleep in one king, two people sleep in another king, two people sleep on a uh, uh, you know sofa bed. Mm-hmm. It's great. I do that with my own girlfriends. But, you know, do you really want to like rub up against somebody else's scratchy shaved, unshaved legs in the (laughs) night? Like, it's fine. I do it. You know, I love my girlfriends. I don't care if they do or don't shave their legs when we're sleeping together. But, you know, I, I just, it was an opportunity to dream and say like, okay, well, what would be the best girls week experience that I can even imagine. It's like, well, if everybody had their own bed. So we, you know, conceived of this like wall of built-in, this over-the-top luxury bunkhouse, this wall of built-in bunk beds where everybody's got their own light and their cell phone charger. And um, and we created that, you know, it's got this amazing whiskey bar vibe to it and a king-size bed and a living room for fireplace, late nights, dancing, you know, drinking around the fire. The bathroom is kind of camp style. It's the only one in the hotel where we don't have a glass shower door. Um, did I mention I'm 42? You know, there's a point at which you don't want to shower in front of your girlfriends. So we had this custom made teak shower door so that you could be showering, but still talking to the other people getting ready in the bathroom. All the details. Yeah. Right? We're very, <laughs> we're very detail oriented. So for us, Luxury, true luxury to me is defined by the intention behind every detail. Having that plan that we agreed upon, this is what we're executing. And we actually, we were a very small team for this project. We ended up bringing in a consultant, a friend of a friend's to consult us who'd worked for um, luxury hotels across uh, the United States and actually the world um, as well. And ended up bringing him in as a partner um, before, shortly before we opened. So that's my other partner, Ben. He's a very important part of the story too. And how did he enhance? I mean, here you were very intentional. You Mm -hmm. had so much idea and you were really specific about those ideas. How did Mm -hmm. he enhance? Oh, well, we always knew we were not, Brian and I were not qualified to operate a luxury hotel. That's operation. Yeah. Operationally, you know, we were operating a really great vacation rental business, but that's a whole other level. And we, it's always important to know what you don't know and go find great people to help you. You know, don't try to be all things to all people. Know what you're good at and do that. Know what you don't have the skill in and find somebody to do it. Um, Would we be capable of learning to do it? Of course. But we, when you're putting your entire financial future present and future on the line, there's, there's absolutely no margin for error. And we needed somebody who was going to come in and just like nail it first time between Ben Bryan and I, and then our architect, Nathan Cooperwriter and our interior designer, Christina Tello, we were a five person band and it was us. We self-developed that property. Um, so when I said that I went from being Ed McMahon in a really popular capacity <laughs> to being 
much <laughs> less popular. Um, lady developer was a role that I think not everybody was really comfortable um, with me playing. Because you were a lady. I Yeah. I think mm-hmm. so. To be honest, women in a nonprofit management role is a really comfortable space to be a community leader in that space. And when I shifted into a traditionally male role where, right. you know, I was developing, I was the um, team member who project managed this project. So I was managing the construction company and the architect and the development of the site. And um, it just threw me into a different light. And I won't say which publications, but when our PR company sent out press releases initially announcing the project, um, there were two publications that printed them word for word, except for they changed the N in Aaron to a C. Only change they made to turn Aaron to Eric. Are you kidding? No. I mean, they must have assumed like it had to be a typo because nothing else. They printed them verbatim, except for they changed Aaron to Eric. So um, it was, that was an interesting gender dynamic um to experience that was different on that with that yeah, add on do you do you think it was just basic human error and assumption or I, intentional I don't, I don't know i i think i think assumption i think it's based on error and assumption like oh this must be a typo yeah. clearly this is an eric but it, it i mean it does it does just mm-hmm. solidify the fact that you were operating in a man's world or for a, sure a man, you know a male dominated and world. starting to brush up you know in the community uh, with people being less happy too you know and and change um we're a small town and and that project represented a lot of change and it sort of picked the scab on some fears about change and the way our community was changing um, because of the industry on the hills all around us and i occupy an interesting space there because i am both from here you know yeah and have a I, i kind of have a foot in the past and a foot in the future in a weird way. And there's, there's a handful of us that are born and raised here and have careers, own businesses and hospitality. And, you know, you can see all of this happening and, and, um, and at the same time, there's an instinct in the community to preserve what's really special here, Yes, which is essential and very important. So how do you walk that line? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were much more interested in creating an experience and reducing or removing completely the boundaries between community and guest. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you really share with a visitor what your community is all about? And, um, and so we did that in ways large and small. And if you went back and you read that business plan, you know, every one of those, nothing was on the fly. Mm-hmm. Everything was described there in terms of how we were going to tell the story of this community. And we did have a few moments um, through the course of the process where we had sort of a crisis of confidence, if you will, where we're like, oh my God, (laughs) we are killing ourselves for these tiny, the tiniest of little details. And is anybody even going to notice other than us? And there were a few times we said that, like, is anybody going to notice this level of detail besides us? And the irony is, is that once we opened... We, and it started getting reviews from our guests. It's one of the 
top things that people mention, the level of detail blows people away. And it was really heartening to see that, yeah, people <laughs> not only noticed, but they cared and they loved it. They appreciated the effort. They appreciated and it. the detail. Yeah, mm -hmm. they really did. And that was, um, we were doing it because we felt like it was the right thing to do. We were doing it because it was the story we wanted to tell. But it does feel gratifying that it was received by our guests. It continues to be received by our guests in the way in which we intended it. There's this, you know, giant painting behind the welcome bar that is this really, um, uh, it's a still life of sorts, but it's all these sort of strange objects. And you're asking, it's by Carmen Barasse, who's a local artist. And you're asking like, what does a turkey feather have to do with a cup of soup? Um, it's very <laughs> beautiful, but it's also an Easter egg for locals because the key to that painting with all these different random elements in it is McMinnville. They're all nods to McMinnville's culture and heritage. We also did a community art project. So we brought in 76 community members and we broke them into three groups and 36 of them curated book selections for our room. So every room has a curated book selection from a community member. It's got a little card in it that tells you who that community member is, what they mean to our community, what they would do with their perfect day in the area, and then their five favorite books. Um, I love that. And so we have uh, gold leaf silhouettes of 20 community members from all walks of life. Uh, everyone from our local beloved local garbage man to um, <laughs> our funeral directors. So it's not just town father sorts, but we're a vibrant community where people are doing all sorts of huge things. So we gave, um, we gave another <clears throat> group. Um, I'm sorry, that was 20 people. We took another 20 community members and we gave them <laughs> articles from our local newspaper and we allowed them to pick select words out of the article to create a poem. And then we basically, oh. they gold leafed over everything but the words they wanted to pop out. And then we put all of those poems on this giant art installation in our drawing room. And so we literally took stories about our town. You know, they're, they're not dramatic stories. Some of them are pretty mundane. Just simple. Yeah. Yeah. And let people turn them into poetry and reuse those stories and turn them into art. Um, so yeah, we did lots of things to really bring those voices in. And, um, and it's I guess genius. I think it's genius to create in creating what you, what you wanted that local feel with that's, brilliant. This is like so <laughs> engaging. Thank you for sharing so much of your story. So how did you do, gain that initial, you, you said it, the 15%, so the SBA loan, yep. it made it so that it, that 15% was, was shooting within shooting range. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then you still had to, to fund. We did. And so we took out personal loans to get to that down payment. Um, we were able to use the property, the land for the project as part of that down payment. The bank would count that. Um, and then we did. We really risked it all and took out loans from friends and family who believed in us um, and loaned us that money to get to that down payment. So, I mean, we were all in. And when you do an SBA loan, there, it, you can't have $1 more than that loan amount, which P.S. you're going to submit for you know, probably 18 months before you start construction. So a lot changes in pricing mm -hmm. in an 18 oh, month yeah. period. I mean, we know that from the last oh. year and a half, right? We had it's a price insane. set where the cost of our drywall doubled. Um, 
and probably um, six weeks before construction started, the last price set came back about a million dollars over budget. Oh, whoa. And we had nowhere to get a million dollars. And literally with an SBA loan, it can't be one penny more. And the bank can't give you more either because it's locked up with the SBA. So you're locked up. Oh, to so that what, did you, what do you do? Personal loans? That's um, where the no, personal loans No, we came? cut a million dollars out of the the project at oh. that point. Um, and obviously you can't cut drywall. That was one of the things that drove our price up. But uh, we took that. I spent a full day back out at the Abbey. And we took every goal and value that we had represented in that business plan you know, from um, telling local stories to sourcing locally, uh, everything. And I ran them down one side of an Excel spreadsheet. And then across the top, I ran every item that we could cut, every every aspect piece in the construction budget. And then I rated each of those things against the values. So everything had to check boxes. Um and if it, the things that we cut were the things that met the least number of our values. So one of them that was painful for me at the time is we had originally, we had hardwood floors and, oh, <laughs> it pained me. <laughs> it pained me aesthetically to let go of those hardwood floors, but you know, they're extremely expensive and then you have to buy rugs. You're really flooring twice because yeah. then you have to have rugs to go on top of them mm-hmm. to do sound abatement. Um, <clears throat> And so that was, you know, one of those things. We got rid of five panel doors and we went to a flat door. But hardship breeds creativity. Kind of back to the, that whole, uh, what was it that you said? Basically, I don't want to get it wrong. The heartbreak leads to frustration. That yeah. leads to, you know, you, yeah. just, you work with it. You roll with it. You have to, you know, and especially when you are the little guy, you know, in that David in the world of Goliaths, you just have to get creative and dig deep and figure out how to do it and trust yourself that you know how to do it. Um, I don't know that that comes through because it is a really beautiful, luxurious hotel. But I don't know that people imagine that the owners literally carried in every couch (laughs) and mirror. And wow, I think, um, but that's the story, you know, that's, that's how we did it. And, you know, now we have, lots of opportunities to grow our company. And um, we've been really thoughtful and selective about how we're going to do that. At the end of the day, it's, you know, it's about what is right to create that final product. And having that business plan always brought us back. And we had budgeted to not, Mm -hmm. you know, to warehouse ourselves to do those things because we wanted to put every penny back into the project. Um, and and will you speak a little bit more to creating a business plan? It, because, I mean, it, it, it has been so central to making mm-hmm. what you've wanted a reality. And I don't, well, it's been like, it's enlightening to me how much time you spent, mm-hmm. how much diligent where you would take that time to go be quiet and yeah. be away from your daily hustle and bustle to do, you know, to do that. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because I got teased a bit. We were required. I mean, the bank needed a business plan in order to um, do the bank loan. 
they, the, our banker, our sweet banker, Teresa laughed when I handed her this beautiful bound <laughs> giant manifesto. She was like, okay, this is a little bit more than we needed, but it's wonderful. Um, but the beauty of that for our team, and I did get teased. We were like, oh yeah, you write a business plan, it gets shoved in a drawer and you never look at it again. And like I said, ours has been rebound and rebound and rebound again. But the beauty was, is we, we almost did like a pinky swear on it, right? Like at the outset this is what we're agreeing to and we're not going to deviate. And because our budget was so tight, we didn't have any room for change orders. So in order to come in, we actually came in a little under budget and ahead of schedule. And we were super disciplined because we had to be. And so we we really didn't have any conflict on our project because we had all agreed that this is what we were doing. You were so clear on, you know, from the onset. There was no ambiguity. So there was nothing to argue about. Right. You, you know, you hear about teams or like marriages falling apart when you're building a house together and all of these decisions that have to be made. And how do you make these decisions collectively? Mm-hmm. Well, we we made them before we ever started. And, you know, even on like design elements, um, as the interior designs were being created, it was whenever there was any kind of like, oh, this or that, it's like, okay, let's go back to the business plan. What supports mm. those values? You know, what's the right thing? And it just gave us this wonderful framework, which removed any conflict or friction between us because this was our agreed upon you know, plan. And whenever question marks came up, you could direct it back, back to, to the there. Plan. And even if it wasn't specific. Mm-hmm. In the plan, like the basis of the plan reflected back to you yep, how, absolutely. To, how to proceed ahead. And the plan even had vision boards and things. So the, within that plan, there's the whole written piece, but there was also, you know, sketches and, um, you know, we did you had take, vision Where there. did you get the, the sketches from and who did the sketches? So how she swears she's not a great artist, but she is. Our interior <laughs> designer, Christina, does these amazing sketches. I love them. They used to joke that I probably slept with them under my pillow at night. <laughs> <laughs> because I love them so much. Um, we occasionally put them in our Instagram feed. If you look way back, you know, and you can see what she sketched for our lobby that went into the business plan and what it looks like today. And it is almost identical. Oh, Very really few cool. differences. And that's on your Instagram feed? Yeah, there's some. If you kind of scroll back, occasionally we'll do a throwback sketch. Um, and it was very funny because the first time Christina and I met to put together budgets for the rooms, um, I was like, okay, so how should we do this? Uh, you know, just, I've got, I have this Excel spreadsheet. We'll just list out everything that goes in a room and price it. And Christina's like, oh, so I just kind of need to draw the room and then we'll price what I draw. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, there's two brain types, <laughs> right? Brain. Here's the Excel spreadsheet, the Excel <laughs> spreadsheet brain type. And here's the, um, total artistic like I just need to draw it and we're just gonna price what I draw I just need to see I just need to see it totally (laughs) and we're so different but we have this just amazing relationship I'm sort of the words person and and she's the artistic vision person but she somehow gets in my brain and takes the words and and every time comes up with like the exactly the perfect thing Um, yeah you enhance each other yeah it, it was a really great working relationship between all of us. We all really balanced. Mm-hmm. We're so small, but we really balanced each other out. And we were really good at staying in our own lanes too, you know, respecting and, one another. Yeah. And speak to that too. Cause I like what you were saying earlier about knowing what you're good at. Yeah. Also 
back to something else you said, like, you know, yeah, we can do it all, but do we want to do it all? Do we have, there's only so many hours in the day, so many, you know, life passes, we've got relationships we're building, working at, you know, where do you want to put your time? And so how, speak to that creating, staying in your lane and creating a partnership or, you know, when people go to make partnerships, Mm -hmm. somebody that's listening to this podcast, that's maybe thinking of doing a project, recognizing, you know, I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. I need a partner. How do you look for them? Yeah. And then how do you, you know, stay in your own lane, I guess? Yeah. Well, I I guess I would say, I think the, I think actually my greatest skill, if I were going to put anything in those terms is finding really good people, empowering them to do what they're good at and getting out of the way. And that's not something that's something that I've had to work really hard on because, um, you know, I, I have a little bit of like that wonder woman personality of like, Oh, I'll just do it. I'll just do it. I'll just do it. I'll just do it myself. But then you're limited by what one person can achieve. And I did that. You know, I've done that at different phases in my life and it leaves you burned out and with really limited capacity. And so through trial and error and a lot of learning on my point, on my part, I really feel like it's trusting your gut, finding the best person you can in any area, finding the very best and clearly communicating what it is that you need and then having the discipline to get out of their way. And let them do their job and not try to micromanage them. So from a team management standpoint, I think that that is really hard um, to do depending on your personality, but that it's essential and it's an essential skill for all of us to develop. At some point, you have to be able to let go and you have to be able to trust and you have to know it might not be exactly the way you want (laughs) it, but as long as it is meeting the goals that you set out to achieve, you know, it's right. Yeah. And, and being confident in that. When you have, because you're going to have communication, you know, issues or things come up that need to be addressed. How do, like, what do you have to say about that in regards to these business partners, Mm -hmm. as well as like the people that are working to fulfill, you know, community members or people you've hired? Yeah. So to, I guess to criticisms in a constructive way, looking for Mm -hmm. resolution, like what? How do you have to say it to that? You know, it, it, I hate to sound like a broken wheel, but having that business plan. So it mm-hmm. wasn't personal. Yeah. It you know, the- it wasn't personal. It was, um, you know, there were a couple of things that Christina and I didn't see eye to eye on. Um, I'm pretty strong willed. So I love to confess that she won on almost all of them truly. <laughs> um, but, and we could get pretty heated, the two of us, cause we're two really passionate women, but it was never at all all for one moment personal where we love each mm-hmm. other deeply. I feel, we feel like siblings on the other end of all of this. Um, and so we would have just these really passionate conversations, but there was not ever an edge at all that was personal. We were just thoroughly discussing and debating what really met the needs of that business plan. And what was that common goal? Yeah. Uh, what yeah. was that common goal? <clears throat> and like I said, nine times out of 10, she was right. And we went with, you know, I push back, push back, push back, but she was really right. Um, and we did it her way. Um, and you came up with a beautiful end yeah, product. Absolutely. Because what happens 
in my mind, when you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen and you're trying to incorporate everybody's ideas, it gets really messy. And we have a lot of reviews. They're actually my favorite one, probably my favorite type of review to get where a guest will say, I've traveled all over the world. I've stayed in, you know, countless luxury hotels. And there's just something really special about the Atticus Hotel. And I can't put my finger on what's different here, there, but there's something really different. So we did things because they were right for the project. Yeah. That if we were just uh -huh. the developer, there's no way we would have done You would have cut that. Cut. Yeah. yeah. Cut. It was on, on your little spreadsheet. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would have gone for sure. You know, there were, so there is a cohesion that we bring to it that just doesn't exist because of the process by which most hotels are created versus the process by which we went through, mm -hmm. um, which sounds really wonky, but it's, oh, it's, it's incredible. It's just yeah. the truth. Yeah. Um, it's just a really simple truth. So what other goals do you have moving ahead with the company? Do you have things in the works? We want to build maybe five, 10 tops, probably much closer to five really special hotels. And mm -hmm. those could be in community communities that have meaning to us. That might be, you know, could be another Atticus hotel or two potentially, but could also be other things. You know, we've got other dreams, other aspirations within that. And so, um, you know, we're just being really thoughtful and also really mindful about, um, our own personal, the, the toll it takes on us personally. Yeah. Um, I didn't see my kids mm -hmm. a lot for that mm -hmm. time period. Um, there was a good three year time period where I did not see my kids as much as I would like to. And, um, my husband and my mom, um, and my mom died two years ago. So I'm sorry. yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they really carried that load for me. And, um, you know, I don't have a mom to carry that load again. Mm -hmm. no. So, um, you know, I would have to do things really differently and, and I don't want to do it that same way where I'm getting up at 4am mm -hmm. and coming home, you know, working a few hours every morning before my kids get out of bed, coming home at like seven o'clock at night and doing that six days a week and wow. four hours on a <laughs> Sunday. I mean, yeah. I don't want to make this sound too glamorous here because, uh, <laughs> Because <laughs> it was because we and a we, lot of work. yeah it was a lot of work and we were all in like that and so it would be also figuring out how to do that in ways that take less of a personal toll mm -hmm. um, because that was a heavy lift yeah. to do something that big with such a small group right you know and then it also got this great result. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So where's the trade-off? Again, yeah. there's only so much hour, yeah. so many hours and so much time. And, you know, and, and then you have these moving parts. You know, you have kids, you have, you know. All the things, yeah. How do you juggle, like in all of this and speaking to that time, mm -hmm. how how did you juggle the mothering? How do you juggle it now? You you said you had your husband and your, your mm -hmm. mother helped during mm -hmm. that time. Yeah. What about now? Yeah, now... Um, well, it's so now is so hard because, you know, our kids have been home for the last year and a half. Right. <laughs> I haven't been in school. So that was a whole other thing. But I've always, I always try to be really fully present in whatever I'm doing. So that's been a rule for me, you know, Eckhart Tolle, live in the now. Yeah. Um, 
So when I'm with you, I want to be fully with you. When I'm working on something at the hotel, I want to be fully there. When I'm with my kids, I want to be fully with my kids. So I, that is something that I work really hard at doing. I hate my phone. I hate it. Um, I personally stepped away from social media about a year and a half ago um, on a personal level. And I don't have any notifications turned on <laughs> on my phone. Does that mean I sometimes respond a little slower to your text or your email? It does. But it means that the person that I'm in front of is getting my full attention. Yes. And especially when I'm home with the kids. Um, so, yeah, I've really post project and post, you know, my mom's death have really worked hard to create more space for self-care, which is something I wasn't great at. And not feeling like I need to be the hero all the time and just saying, you know what? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to come into work at 10. I'm going to run. I'm going to meditate and I will be here at 10 and I will give you my all until I need to go pick up my kiddos. If it's one of my pickup days and that's what I can do. So being a little bit more honest, I think as women, we have this tendency to just say, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And I can tell you my mom, who is our um, elected official in our county, she was our property tax assessor and tax collector for 12 years. Wow. Um, she was born in 1948. And she told me that she felt like women had been sold kind of a faulty bill of goods so to speak, like being told, like, you can be a great mom, you can be a worker bee, you can do all of these things. And can you, you know, mm -hmm. my mom ran a $180 million budget and a staff of 30 people came home and put a Martha Stewart dinner on the table every night. Perfect. Napkins folded. Wow. <laughs> Help me with my homework. I mean, did all of it, you know, president of a rotary club, all of the things all of the things and, you know, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at 53. Wow. Did I get my age right there? No, I didn't. 63. 63. There you go. <laughs> Math. <laughs> my mom was 52. English so major. <laughs> Speaking to the strings. Who actually Speaking runs really big budgets. <laughs> should be better at very simple mental math. Um, but yeah. So, you know, where's the time for self-care? And, mm -hmm. um, and she was a phenomenal mom. I didn't, she didn't miss a beat with me, but you know, how do you really do all of those things without taking a huge personal toll? Mm -hmm. And so I have really been mindful of that. And I feel really grateful to have partners. Um, I'm so glad I didn't try to do this alone. I would never be ever where I am without those partnerships and, um, during the last six months of my mom's life, she moved in with my husband and I, and I, I, she actually went into the hospital on January 19th of 2019. So the hotel had been open at that point for call it nine months, not quite eight months, something like that. And I went to go check on her and took her to the emergency room. And I didn't come back to work till August 1st. Oh, wow. It's not easy being human. No, we I mean, are if somebody all. thinks so, please have them reach out. <laughs> right. I'd love right, to talk. Right. Do share. Please yeah. Do share. Love right. to hear all about yeah. that. You I know. love that. There's one last thing, you know, that 
um, Linda pointed out, and she's like, you have to ask her about this. But your philanthropic efforts that you've put your time and effort into that you currently do, and have you said no to some of that too? Yeah, so I did have to, um, again, along that theme of, of you can't, you know, be all things to all people and do everything. I did prune back a little bit because I have always been a really active volunteer in mm -hmm. the community. Clearly from the time you were very young. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and your mother was right. Absolutely. Both my parents super involved in the community. I mean, that is one thing about McMinnville and this wine country, this whole yeah. area, this, it's not just McMinnville, but Yamhill County. Like I've been introduced to so many people that are just so invested in the community. So absolutely. And it, I mean, if you spend any time with Linda Hayes, I mean, you can't yep. find a more devoted volunteer than Linda. I mean, she's amazing. And I think you're going to talk to another really amazing person from our community later today. Um, and uh, Maria Stewart. And there's another woman who like gives and gives and gives of her time. So um, yeah, so I still volunteer with Habitat for Humanity. When we opened the hotel, we did a community wide slumber party. We sold tickets um, to stay the night in the hotel during our opening <laughs> week. And we raised $30,000 for Habitat that night, which was wow. really exciting and, and great. Um, so I still do a lot there. Um, I chair the board of Visit McMinnville. I was the founding board chair. Um, so that's a whole, our, our destination management organization. So that's a whole other kind of element, um, within the community. And, um, I just stepped off of the Oregon community foundations, uh, regional committee. And when is this podcast going to air? Um, it'll air probably in the next couple months. In the next couple I'll let months. you know when okay. it's going to air. Yeah. I was going to say, and I've, um, been nominated but not confirmed so I don't know how the Senate <laughs> confirmation will go but to serve on the Oregon Tourism Commission oh, um, wow. more recently so that will be a different um, different type of volunteer opportunity more at the state level um, at the local level our hotel has a community or a, an employee-led charitable giving committee which I just love meeting with our group every month and um, we get so many requests but our commitment is to give 120 nights away a year to nonprofit organizations. And so we have a whole charitable giving structure um, for how we do that. Which is just is that of, all of McMinnville or meaning just your hotel? Our hotel. Your, okay, yeah. Our okay. hotel gives 120 That's nights incredible. a year. So we have an application on our website. Um, you can apply and then our committee meets each month and we review those applications and, you know, they all go into auctions Um around the country actually we get requests from all over the country so oh, wow yeah it's been wonderful it's we have um values um company values that we evaluate and then we look and see if there's been any organization that's requested that um an employee has volunteered with or received services from and so and then after we've evaluated both based on those two criteria, then our employees just get to pick if there's any, our 10 a month, if there's any left, then people just get to pick their favorite um, requests. So it's great. That is great. Yeah. It's, I love it. It's just <laughs> been a really wonderful, um, wonderful way to really engage our whole team in that giving process. You know, anybody who's listening, stop by, pay us a visit when you're in the area, stay with us, you know, if you can, we'd love to host you. And uh, if I'm around, I'm always happy to give people the, the insider's tour. 
Oh my god. Your listeners will know an awful lot <laughs> if they made it all the way through this uh, yes. podcast. Okay, and tell me how they can reach it reach you. What's the best way to reach you if they want to reach out? Or yeah. just a woman across the country that's maybe wanting to start Absolutely. a hotel or wanting to to pick your brain. Yeah, you can go to atticushotel.com and fill out the contact information and our team will get it pointed to me. And um, I will confess I am not the fastest with my email responses these days. Part of <laughs> so that just taking time, time for myself. So <laughs> I'm not participating in the instant um, response. And that's no social media world at this point in time. I do have social feeds, you know, and I hop in every now and again mm-hmm. to, um, you know, message somebody whose phone number I don't have or something like that. But yeah, and we have active social feeds for the hotel as well. So yeah. And what are those? Yeah. So um, atticushotel.com is our website. And then at Atticus Hotel for Instagram and Facebook is Atticus Hotel McMinnville. Okay. So you can find us in any and all of those places. Wonderful. Yeah. Right. Or right here in downtown McMinnville. And then can I ask a couple different things? So in this podcast, mm-hmm. well, first let's start with this. Okay. If you could, in summary and in closing, if you could write a message in the stars, thinking of women, you know, working, you know, showing mm-hmm. up, and you've hit on a lot of this already in the interview, but if you could summarize it into one message that for women, both those that are starting out and those that are starting over and just dealing with the juggle of life, what would you say? The, the universe knows what you need and it's not always what you think you need in the moment. So have faith, dream big, chase your dreams, do it with balance to the best of your ability, but trust that you really can find a way to get what you want and to do that in a way that respects where you are in your current life. You know, whether that's a a parent or not a parent or a divorcee or trying to balance a marriage, you know, there, there is a path. And if you listen to those shower thoughts, (laughs) the messages as you're climbing that hot, hot hill, um, (laughs) you know, you'll, you'll find your way and your way might not look like my way, right? Because we all have different needs and skills and abilities and challenges and dynamics. Um, but you'll find your way. And also I just touched on it briefly at the beginning, but, um, don't be afraid to look for a mentor and to try to find a mentor. I'm a really big believer in mentorship. I'm a really big believer in mental health. If I were, president, you know, I would make sure every high school student in America had to travel internationally to a place with a non-contiguous U.S. border and that (laughs) um, every person born was assigned, you know, a mental health professional at birth um, that you could lean into in the moments when you need it. So also don't be afraid to look around for help um, and help looks like different things at different time times in your life, but nobody can do it alone. I sure haven't, you know, I've had all sorts of help and support in every chapter of my life in different ways, in different chapters, but look around at your resources and don't be afraid to reach out. We all need to do a better job. And this is something as women, we need to get way better at because women in my experience are not great at this and men are really good at it. Men are really good at networking and supporting each other and putting that hand out and pulling their buddy up. 
And I think women have a harder time doing that sometimes in the business world in particular. Um, but even in academia, you know, my female college professors were often, um, I had one who was wonderful, but, but they were really hard on me, like almost harder on me because I was female. I felt like, like I needed to work hard too. And like, I needed to claw my way up the way they'd clawed their way up. Interesting. Yeah. And so I think as women, sometimes we need to work even harder to help that next generation and to help each other. Um, you know, it, 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 sh it doesn't have to be this hard. Mm -hmm. So look for the help in your resource pool and don't be afraid to ask for it. And then don't be afraid to give it yeah. when somebody else needs it too. It has to work both ways. We're know? in this together, right? We are all in this together and we're, we're better together. We're, we're stronger together and we can achieve more when we work together, you know, versus that younger version of myself who thought I could do it all. Um, <laughs> And I can't. Oh, okay. And I don't want to. <laughs> and now I know I don't want to. I don't want to. It's a lonely road. <laughs> to get to that wisdom of life, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. It takes time. It takes yeah. living and, yeah. and learning. A lot of learning. A lot know? of learning. Yeah. Lifelong learner. Oh. For sure. I love that. That was a very long, short. I know. Like it was beautiful. Do you have song, a song or songs that speak to you, to your heart, to the climb, to that climbing the mountain, to the resilience, to the, you know, everything you've been talking about? Your listeners can't see how smirky I look right now. <laughs> it's so cute. I can see it. <laughs> very smirky because, yeah, I mean, so many. Um, so I am a diehard Stevie Nicks fan <laughs> and ironically, it's a very long story that nobody has time for, but, um, a Fleetwood Mac cover band is sort of responsible for the creation of the Atticus <laughs> Hotel. Long story. They were playing at a uh, Sokol Blosser and I went with my lifelong bestie who's um, family owns that parking lot Chels. and we Chelsea, yeah. And okay. we talked about it and that night and, uh, she was like, you gotta go talk to my dad. You know I mean? Like we really kind of formulated our plan that night. Um, but I also am the proud owner of a t-shirt that says Stevie Nicks is my fairy godmother. <laughs> um, so there, uh, is definitely dreams, Fleetwood Mac's, um, dreams for sure. Um, and then I have, you know, I, my kids know that like my funeral playlist inc includes landslide. Yeah, I love landslide. <laughs> yes. Um, but ironically, the the only um, player I didn't mention, I feel a little bit bad in the creation of the Atticus Hotel, we brought in the most wonderful construction consultant who helped us work out contractual issues with um, just get to a contract with our construction company. And his name is Shu and he is so great. And he was really integral at a couple of spots with the construction process where we got a little stuck. Like he would just come in and, and really help us take that next step forward. Um, but when we were first introduced to him by our banker, um, we, our unofficial project song was don't stop believing by journey. <laughs> yes. Don't stop yep. believing. Totally. <laughs> and, um, we were, it was about at this million point cut project part when he got involved in the project to help us get there. And, um, towards the end of the meeting his cell phone rang he had it on the table and been quiet the whole time and his ringtone was don't stop believing by journey and i was like oh my god <laughs> this is it we will not stop believing um 
We, so don't stop believing by journey. And then there was an article while we were under construction that the Willamette week wrote about us, um, where they described, uh, the Atticus hotel is bougie and <laughs> Oh my God, the comments are never read the comments, but, um, they were so, <laughs> it was a really nice article actually, but that word just like tweaked people. And so we had, um, a friend was like, have you heard that song bad and bougie, which I had not. Um, <laughs> so very different from journey. But so we laughed about bad and bougie for a while. Um, a friend made the t-shirt. I mean, we just got so much, just so much shit after that article. It was, um, it was pretty funny how much that word really <laughs> got to people isn't it funny like certain yes. words and certain words within the context oh, of certain man. mini cultures like can just yeah yeah because like, as i said the article is really nice but um but yeah that <laughs> that word definitely tweaked struck a chord the randy struck a chord yeah so there would be a few as related to um our project and really keeping our chin up and keeping going and my current playlist is very different than my playlist at the time. Thank you so much. I've loved this. I really appreciate, you know, the chance to sit down and chat and, you know, everybody's on their own journey and if hearing anything about mine helps anybody else, that's great. Then today has been a total success. You know, oh. I don't know what more you can ask for. Thank you for joining me today. Would you please hit the subscribe button and follow along? It helps me tremendously. And isn't Erin incredible? Her words of wisdom to be written in the stars are extracted from her life experience. Her dreaming, planning, and scheming combined with her doing evidence what she believes that ideas that seem like that can never happen actually can happen and they do happen. You just have to chase that idea. If it's not going to work, prove that it's not going to work by working to make your idea reality. It's the only way to know. Don't bail on the idea before you really chase it. The Atticus Hotel is proof of this. As we got to see, Aaron's in-the-shower idea became reality, and it's defined now as a must-visit. The process, it was complete with heartache that led to frustration, that led to the creativity, that ultimately led to the incredible end result. Check out photos of the Atticus Hotel on Instagram at the Ruthie Podcast. If you are looking for a great getaway on your own with friends or a partner, see in person how Erin and her team brought the community together. The way they leverage the excitement of the community is straight up genius. Book a stay. And if you're looking for a great girlfriend group getaway, check out their luxury bunkhouse. You'll be looking to come sooner than later. You can follow the link in the show notes to watch one of the, the community-wide challenges that Erin mentioned. And remember to check out the Ruthie podcast playlist on Spotify. Listen away and remember, explore, experience, then take it all on the inside and ask, now what?